0: Let's talk about gravity. It's a constant. It affects everything and everyone. It's a relentless weight that never gives up in pulling us down. But gravity can be defeated. When a force is applied that is greater than the force of gravity, then, and only then, can we say that we are defining gravity. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to start this morning with a question and a story. My question is, Who remembers where you were on the Fourth of July of 1994? Anybody? Timothy, I don't. Did you exist? He was not here. (laughs) That's true. You, you remember that well. Um, Well, you know, I'm I'm a lot older than Timothy, so I do remember where I was um, on the Fourth of July, 1994. And so let me paint a picture for you. Uh, It was uh, a pretty normal uh, 4th of July. I was nine. Uh, We were living in a small suburb of Wichita, Kansas, which um, basically it's in the middle of nowhere. I could tell you which suburb it was, but it wouldn't really matter. Um, We were living in this small neighborhood and it was kind of like Norman Rockwell Hallmark kind of a, a neighborhood. You know, there were families in their yards and in their driveways with with sprinklers and and setting off fireworks in the driveway trying to make sure we don't send your eyebrows off and um, you know people are out grilling and we're throwing a football around maybe and it was just a really um, pretty typical um, Fourth of July for us and so uh, me and my sisters you know we're out lighting smoke bombs and stuff and, and I remember my parents were having this conversation over the grill and I still don't remember what exactly the conversation was about, but for those of you who have been married for a while, um, you know that sometimes conversations can do this thing uh, where they escalate into what can euphemistically be called a discussion. Uh, I don't know if (laughs) you've ever been part of one of those whisper fights before, but uh, it's not fun. Well, you know, us kids, we're, you know, having fun with fireworks, we're hearing mom and dad argue, it's kind of like a normal day. Uh, until it keeps escalating so, so we can start feeling this tension emanating off of them and so, you know, they're going back and forth and their voices are raising and my mom's pitch is going up and, and she, she's getting more and more frustrated my dad is, he, I can't hear what he's saying but he must be just really ruthless because she just keeps getting more and more and more upset until finally, um, I don't remember what she said but she said it really loud and really shrill and she puts the tongs down on this little thing next to the grill. And so she, she puts the tongs down and storms into the house, slams the door. And you know, we're just kids and we're doing our fireworks and so the best way to uh, handle conflict when you're a kid is avoid it. So we just kept doing our fireworks and didn't really think much of it, didn't steer uh, for the rest of the evening. In fact, it got to the point where we were um, getting ready uh, to all get into the car, um, all six of us, because I had my sisters there with me, and uh, we were going to go down to the football field, because uh, this is a small town, this is very similar to Lingle or Torrington. Uh, it's a small town, and the football field is where they were doing the fireworks, the, you know, the big fireworks. So we were going to go down there uh, as a family, because that's what we'd been doing the years before. So you know, we were excited about that, but something that was odd was that mom decided not to go. Um, dad said she'll be fine get in the car so we just all got in the car and we went off to the high school and it was a small town so we were lucky enough to get on one of the lawns that was right next to where they were launching the fireworks and so my dad laid down this blanket and all of us kids you know sat down there with him and we all just kind of propped there looking up at these starbursts you know going off in the sky and it just seemed to fill the whole sky and um it, I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral where they like shoot a twenty-one gun salute, but it is a very arresting thing, uh, these sharp, loud sounds, and so, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm seeing these big starbursts and every, you know, a couple of seconds it's like... <coughs> 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 and so, you know, we we have these, you know, things going off in front of us. And I remember thinking, as I'm looking up at these, these um, colors, just the kaleidoscope of colors, I remember looking up and just thinking... I'm afraid. I had no idea why. I was nine. I mean, think back to your nine-year-old self and think about how good their cognitive ability was to figure out, oh, how am I feeling? I was just afraid. I didn't know why. So uh, the show was over. Um, People were loading up in their cars, taking their lawn chairs and their blankets. And so we got back in our car and we made the short drive home. So I I remember watching as as I'm sitting in the backseat, I'm looking over my dad's shoulder and I see... The, the headlights of our car come around our driveway and into our garage, which is now open. And we had a door in the back, very similar to that door right there, actually, that had a window in it. And I remember, out of the corner of my eye, I saw something move, and I was like, hmm, that's odd, but you know, I was nine, really short attention span. So I thought nothing of it, and we all went inside, and as soon as my dad shuts the door behind us, we hear out in the garage, the cars start. My dad looks at us and he says, you kids stay here. I'm gonna go out. He goes outside, shuts the door. And as any good um, nine-year-old boy would do when his dad tells him to do something, I did the opposite of that thing. And um, I opened the door and I remember the scene. I'm looking out and I can see my mom's face and I see what must have been years of frustration and sadness and bitterness and anger. And and tears and just red, and she's angry and she's sad, just really not happy. And I remember seeing that, and I remember seeing my dad standing so resolutely behind our car, right in the middle, blocking my mom from getting out. So I remember saying, "Mom, are you okay?" Because you know you're a a nine-year-old boy, and you want to make sure that everything's okay. You want to make sure there's no tension. And my dad looked at me and with words that I definitely obeyed, he said, go back inside. So I shut the door and I went back inside. About an hour and a half later, as kids, we were listening. We could hear the car finally shut off. About half an hour after that, my mom and my dad came inside and they were talking. They weren't yelling and screaming. What was going on was my mom had decided that she didn't want to be part of our family anymore. My mom decided that she um, wanted to get out. You know, she was a full-grown woman, and she was running away. And um, she had had enough. And to me, that told me, Adam, you're not worth staying for. You're not worth staying for. And uh, that is one of many different stories I could tell you about my childhood growing up, uh, which I've told a couple others, too. And the result of that was, as I kept growing up, I knew that I was worthless. I knew that I um, couldn't really do anything. I couldn't really bring any benefit to anybody's world. I couldn't really achieve anything. And so I, had, I, I struggled most of my life with um, this sense of badness. Now, um, there's this thing that happens when you're sad long enough. Um, a, a psychologist could explain it better to you, but there's a thing that happens when you're sad long enough that your brain starts to to form in certain ways. There's a chemical reaction that happens in your brain that starts to make it think in certain ways and behave in certain ways that kind of keep you in that sadness. So basically, the sadder I was, the more normal it felt. And so I started going into this thing called depression, which is just a general diagnosis. But... Um, It was something that started very, very early in my childhood, and it has never left me. Um, I would like to say that, oh, that was in the past, but that's today. Uh, I still sometimes wake up in the morning thinking, there's just nothing good today. There's nothing worth doing today. There's nothing worthwhile today. And it became this, this, this shackle, these chains that I wear, Wherever I go. Now, some days, you know, I, I, I drag them along with me, but it becomes this shackle, these chains that hold me down. They tell me, you're not worth it. You can't do anything. No one loves you. There's nothing worth living for. Get out. That's pain. That's not, that's not physical pain, but that's, that's pain. Now, I could tell you a a whole bunch of other stories, you know, uh, about maybe the time that I smashed my thumb with a sledgehammer or that I, I almost cut off my thumb with a ladder. It seems thumbs in me are bad. But, you know, I could tell you lots of different stories about physical pain. But for me, that captures one of the most painful experiences of my life. And maybe as you're sitting here, you're thinking, I can't relate to that at all. Well, let me talk about a couple different types of pain that maybe some of us can relate to. Because, see, maybe you are like me. Maybe you are in a situation where a series of circumstances has put you in a place where you feel nothing but emotional turmoil and pain. Somebody said something to you or did something to you so far in the past that it planted this seed and this garden of sadness, this garden of misery has started to grow in your gut. If you're there or if you've been there, you know how it feels. It just feels like it's inescapable. It's this constant companion. Maybe you're in emotional turmoil because you've lost a loved one, or maybe you've lost a relationship. You know, we've all experienced loss. But you can't really put your finger on one thing and say, that is why I'm hurting. You just feel pain. Or maybe for you, it's a relationship. It's specifically a relationship. You have looked into the eyes of a loved one and had them tell you, I don't love you anymore. Maybe they didn't use words. Maybe they used their actions to tell you that. Or maybe they used the lack of words or the lack of actions to tell you that. But over time, they've definitely communicated that message that I don't love you. It doesn't matter if it's a parent, if it's a sibling, if it's a child, if it's a spouse, if it's a close friend. If we get into that situation, it hurts us. They tell you, you're not important. And, and you see your relationship with them, and you feel like maybe you're just on the other side of this huge cliff. You would be close with them if there wasn't this chasm of pain between you. That's real life. That happens. There are people in this church that are going through that right now. We are separated by our pain in relationships. We're suffering in our relationships. The things that are supposed to bring life and joy and peace are bringing nothing but misery to us. Boy, this is an exciting and positive message, isn't it, Zach? It's really good. (laughs) Um, Before I keep going, there is one section I want to talk about because I don't want to minimize this. Because I know a lot of people that are right now going through something called chronic pain. And it's a physical manifestation of, of some sort of malady that either they do know why it's there and they can't fix it. And they won't be able to fix it. There's no relief in sight. Uh, there, or, or maybe it's some sort of physical pain that is not localized to one thing. They don't even know what it is. And, and so they wake up in the morning hurting, physically hurting. And they never stop until they go to sleep at night. And I I don't know if you guys know anybody that are in this situation. I know actually that you do. But if if you talk to them about it, then you know that it's it's like this friend that's always holding you back. Um, Michael J. Fox famously talked about his illness as if it was a five-year-old child constantly trying to climb around him. (laughs) Physical pain is something that should never be diminished. Like, we should talk about this, too, because... You know, we've all experienced pain, and we're all experiencing pain, we all will experience pain, because the sad reality is that pain is a natural part of living in a fallen world. Suffering is a normal part of living in a fallen world. That's the first blank on your thing. Now, just for you people who are OCD, I realize the blanks are small, and you'll probably have to write words on top of words. Yeah, sorry. Um, But the, the idea is that suffering is part of living. It's a normal part of living in a fallen world. You know, very early on, God said good. Then he said very good. We weren't meant to be like this. This wasn't plan A pain was not part of God's original design. He didn't make us and say, "I'm going to just hurt those people and I'm going to show them." No, it his his desire for us, his declaration over us was good, very good. But 3 chapters into the book, not very far, we decide to go our own way. And we invite all sorts of ugliness and pain into our lives. And and I don't I mean I know some of you have gone through the experience where you realize that someone else's sin can directly hurt you. And your sin, however secret you think it is, however, however much you hold it inside and pretend it's not going to hurt anybody, it will hurt the people around you. That's just the nature of it. We have this thing that we're struggling with now, and it, it invites pain into our lives. Now, I I do want to make a caveat because the thing is, you know, when you hear sermons like this, I've heard sermons like this. In fact, I even preached a sermon two times ago. This is three and two are on suffering, so I guess I'm kind of a gloomy guy. But um, two sermons ago, we were talking about James chapter one and a wise way to approach suffering and a wise way to approach trials and a a foolish way to approach suffering and to approach trials. And so we, we, we can talk a lot about a lot of different things. And there's a lot of different kinds of suffering in the world. Um, You know, some people talk about how suffering is a punishment by God. Uh, Sometimes it might be. Uh, Suffering uh, can be sometimes a a character builder. Maybe it's not a direct punishment, but God wants to refine you and he wants to find the best you possible. So he's going to put you in a place of discomfort. He's going to put you in a place where you are stretched outside of your comfort zone. That happens. Sometimes there's pain that's caused by other people. You know, people just being stupid, people being selfish, and it hurts you. And sometimes people talk about pain that's caused by the devil, that he tempts us towards things. And So I'm really not going to talk about those things today. Today, all we're going to do is we're going to talk about people who are currently in pain, who are moving in this process, and how we can possibly keep going forward in a way that honors Jesus, becomes more like his image, and, and, and helps us live better. So we're going to look at Scripture, and we're going to look at a, a several different kinds of Scripture, and I'm really, really excited to tell you this first story. Because for me, uh, the Gospels are a lot of times where my, my interest starts, because it's full of characters, okay? And it's full of people that were real, living, breathing human beings, and, and they were making decisions, and they were feeling things, and they were thinking things, and, and they were honest, and they said things that, that maybe weren't right at the time. So later on, there's letters that are written in the Bible. And, and, you know, people think about those, and they write those down. But in these kinds of narratives, it's just like, whoops, I said it. <laughs> it's there. Okay, let's deal with it. And so the first story I want to talk about is from one of these Gospels. It's from the Gospel of Mark. Okay, it's one of the shortest Gospels. It's actually the shortest Gospel. Um, it's from the Gospel of Mark, and it's in Mark chapter 4. So if you guys could do me a favor and turn with me to Mark chapter 4. So just to give you a little bit of an idea about the Jesus that the disciples knew at this point, they had seen him teaching crowds and have you know, captivated an entire you know, herd of people with his teachings. They have heard him say profound things about the kingdom of heaven. They've heard him uh, say profound things about reality that they're just like, wow, this guy is preaching with authority. And, and, and they have seen him do all sorts of miraculous things. At this point, there's been a paralyzed man that's been healed. At this point, there's been a blind man that's been healed, has received sight. I mean, talk about miraculous. There's been an entire crowd of people that have been healed. Now imagine for a second that we got everyone uh, in Lingle together, and we, we, uh, we met up in the park. And we, we took everyone that was sick, everyone that was feeling ill, everyone that had a chronic disease. It didn't matter what it was. We took everyone along, and we lined them up. And, and we had them all line up, and we, then, then a person goes down the line, moves through the crowd, and it doesn't matter what their problem is, he fixes them. Would you say that person has some power? I would say that person has some power, and that's the Jesus that these disciples knew. Okay? They know him. That's going to come, come in really handy. So, uh, as we go through this story... It says, That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, let's just look at this for a second. Because one of my tendencies is when I read scripture and when I read the Gospels, especially, I want to typecast the the disciples. I want to make them into caricatures. They're just a bunch of pansy little girls, and they're just you know, a wind came up and the boat was rocking, and they're like, "Ah!" Yeah, we all want them to be that. But let me tell you, these are these are men, okay? These are men that are earning a living already. Somehow they've gone through the vocational process. They may be young men, but they are men. And they are in the middle of this sea, and a storm comes up, and it says the boat was nearly swamped. That means that the waves were coming in such intensity and such frequency that the boat could have sunk. You cannot swim to shore if you're in the middle of the sea and the boat sinks. You will die. These people are afraid of a very, very reasonable thing. This isn't them being afraid of something small. They are going to die. So their reaction is not entirely without warrant. And I want to tell you that I've been in this place so many times, this place that we're going here in just a second, I've been in this place so many times where I've looked at Jesus and I've said these very words in the midst of my storms. And I suggest that maybe you've done the same. We look to Jesus. We wake him. And we say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? Look around you. We're getting swamped. We're going to die. We're going to drown out here, and no one's going to find our bodies. We're scared, and you don't even care. You're sleeping. If we're honest with ourselves, we've been there with God before, and that's okay. He can take it. The Psalms of Lament, where where David tells uh, God exactly how mad he is and exactly how sad he is, that's healthy. Okay. So at no point today do do I want you to think that I'm saying that you know you just need to minimize your problems. Okay, problems are real, and let's deal with them in a real way. So he says, "Teacher, don't you care if we drown?" and then it says Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, "Quiet, be still." And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And I can I can't imagine how many times Jesus has said this to me. He said to his disciples, "Why why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith?" Do you still have no faith? You've seen me do all sorts of things, and you're standing here, and you're worried about my concern for you? Because, see, the thing is, they're not doubting his ability, I don't think. Because they didn't say, can't you save us? They said, don't you care? And for me, that's the, that's the real problem when we talk about God and we talk about suffering. That's the problem that I run into, is because I know God is powerful, and I know God is good, but I don't always trust him. And you get to this place where you you honestly are asking, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if my life is ruined? But Jesus points out a very hard truth. And I'm always worried about saying stuff like this because I don't want you to think I'm sounding insensitive. But he points out that there is a way to endure trial. There's a way to endure suffering. There's a right way and there's a wrong way and despite the fact that their question was sincere, that it was honest, that it was actual, it was still from the wrong perspective because they were asking in a place of faithlessness. They they might have believed that God was powerful, but they certainly didn't believe that he was good or that he cared about them. And so they were doubting his care for them. And so he says, "What do I what do I have to say to you? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith?" And then it's interesting that they say, he said fear because then they were terrified of him and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Like, it was a spooky moment for them. But Jesus is pointing out this, this dichotomy where on one hand, we can respond to storms and trials and, and, and trepidation with despair without God in heaven, without a loving God that cares about us. We can respond to those things and say, does God even care? And I've walked that road, and it's a dangerous road to walk. Or, we can respond in faith. So the next the next uh, line that I've got for you with the crammy small words is... Um, That our ability to cope with pain is significantly impacted by our own mindset. Our ability to cope with pain is significantly impacted by our mindset. Where we set our gaze, where we set our mind to. So I mentioned earlier Psalm of Lament. There are so many different psalms that talk about suffering and bad things. Psalm 3 is talking about David on the run. And at the end of it, he says, God, you are faithful and you are good. You're going to take care of me. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite psalms is uh, Psalm 121. There's actually an old song that we used to sing in one of my churches uh, growing up. I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Um, It says, I lift my eyes up to the heavens. Where does my help come from? It comes from you, Lord, maker of heaven and earth. A little bit further down, it says that he never sleeps. He never slumbers. There are so many psalms where David is standing before God. He's in the midst of suffering. He's in the midst of persecution. People are trying to kill him, and he says it. He says, I, my bones are breaking. I feel like I'm twisted and broken like a, like a bundle of twigs. He says, I feel like my body is broken. I feel like you are destroying me. But as he moves on, he continues, and he says, yet I will praise you. You are good. Your everlasting love endures forever. You are long-suffering and patient with me, a kind in my affliction. If you need comfort today, I would suggest finding a psalm that you can identify with. That's where I find a lot of my comfort. And I don't, I don't know what to do with today. Because David is so honest and we can live there, but he's, he still tells us to point to God. Because the, the thing is, we can look down at our lives. what's happening, the details of our circumstances. I can look, uh, you know, with my particular thing, I can look and see how depressed I'm feeling. You know, I can think about that and I can fixate on that, about how sad I am and how glum things are and how pointless it all is. And before you know it, I feel a lot worse. Because that's where that mindset goes. But if we can follow the example of the psalmist in Psalm 121, where he says, I lift my eyes up to the heavens. Where does my help come from? You know, this, this morning, we're singing a song that is just one of my all ten, all-time top ten favorites. Like, there are certain songs that you just feel like it's just you and Jesus together and you're just having a conversation. And it's the How Great Thou Art. Yeah. When, when I sing that song, How Great Thou Art, I'm not thinking about my circumstances. I'm not thinking about what's going on in my life. I'm not thinking about who has hurt me. I'm just thinking about how great He is. So I can either choose to respond and say that God doesn't care, God doesn't know me, God's not powerful enough to save me, or I can choose to lift my eyes up. And it's not an easy choice, and please don't think that if you're in the middle of pain, I'm belittling your situation by saying, just think better. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But fixing your gaze on Jesus tells us something about the God that we serve. Okay? But before we get there, what I want to do is I want to I move on to uh, this letter that Paul writes Uh, Paul is an apostle in the early church, which basically means he's a church leader. So he starts churches, leaves, and he writes letters, and he tries to revisit them. And so there's a church that he's writing a letter to, and it's uh, 2 Corinthians. He's writing a, a letter to the church in Corinth. And he starts to describe this God that we can lift our eyes up to. And he's describing this God that we can lift our eyes up to in the midst of our pain he's talking to people that feel it just like you and I do. So I don't want you to miss these words. I don't want you to just hear gobbledygook. I want you to think, this is true in my life. So he starts his letter off by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia. So it's in the city and the region. He says, grace and Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a general greeting. He's just saying, hey guys, how are you doing? It's nice. You know, he said peace. That's good. Yay. Verse 3, he's starting into his theme though. He's choosing his words very carefully. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the suffering of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So he says, may the God of comfort comfort you in the midst of your suffering so that you can comfort those around you. I want to make a really quick comment that we are in the middle of a community of people. This church, this weird, old, funky community of people that Jesus chose to use for 2,000 years. Like, it's the most important message in the world, and he gave it to people. Eh, go figure. You trust us. So we're in this church full of people that are sharing lives with us. And what if Paul were to write to this church, and he'd say, May our God comfort you so that you can comfort your neighbor that person sitting next to you. May our God of comfort, the Father of all compassion, comfort you so that you can bring comfort to those around you. See, the thing is that suffering bonds us together. Um, the words that I chose for the, 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 those p- papers on your lap there are, our experiences of pain and suffering can bring comfort to others. He, he uses this suffering, he uses this pain to bond us together if we choose to participate if we choose to be a part of that plan if we choose to be a part of that process I had a discussion with a gal after last service and and an honest one where we were saying it is so hard to share that I am hurting because if you say you're hurting you're saying I'm weak I need help I need you that's a very vulnerable place and no one really likes to go there but I tell you what, this plan, this system, this comfort-sharing, bonding thing that happens won't happen if we don't share our pain. If we don't share the troubles that we're already going through with one another. If we don't come under the same burden, there's no way we can provide relief to one another. It's just not going to work. And that's our choice. So, he keeps going, and, and I really love this. He says, He says, For just as the suffering of Christ flows over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. We're all in this together. He says, You're not alone in the middle of your suffering. The things that you've suffered, we've suffered too. And if we're suffering, may that be a comfort to us, or a comfort to you. And if we're being comforted, may that be also a comfort to you. Because, see, God is a God of comfort. He's a God of compassion. He's the Father of compassion. He brings comfort to us. So he says, If if it's worth anything, my suffering might benefit you. Because, see, he's being open, he's being honest, he's sharing his story. And he gets a little bit more vulnerable, which is really, really hard, I think, for church leaders to do. Really, really hard. And he does it. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. We don't want you to be ignorant about the hardships that we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. They didn't want to live anymore now, this is Paul and you know his entourage. you know, I just think of like monks for some reason there they weren't monks yet, but you know I just think you know they just constantly walk with their hands folded in prayer and they, and they they always say the right things and they always think the right things, but he says that they received such great oppression, such great trial that they did not want to live anymore. now, I can relate to that, not everyone can. I've been to that place where you say. I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, I'm willing to write my own ticket out if I have to, but I'm done. I don't want to be here. That's the extent to which Paul has gone in this moment. And he's letting his church know that. He's sharing his burden. He says, indeed, verse 9, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. How many of us have condemned ourselves to death at this point? How many of us have condemned a relationship to death at this point? But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. See, he's he's walking them through this process. He's saying we were there we wanted to die. We didn't want to be there anymore. But instead of just going down that road, we looked to God who raises people from the dead. It doesn't matter how far gone you think you are, how much pain you're suffering. It doesn't matter how, uh, how broken a relationship feels, how emotionally broken and shattered you feel. God is faithful and He is there. is the kind of God that raises people from the dead. That's just who He is. I love that. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him, we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. It's just a, a, a man being honest with his with his fellow believers, saying, it was really bad. We were in a really, really bad spot. But then we look to God, who's this the kind of God that raises people from the dead? And and he even points to it, he says, so that, or actually in this translation it's just that, but it's definitely a because uh, in verse 9, when he says, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises us from the dead. See, the thing is, it was never supposed to be this way. Very, very early on, God says, good and very good. And then we broke it. And we invited this pain into our lives. We invited this suffering into our lives. And and I know that there are some people in this room that are like, I did not invite any of this into my life, okay? Other people have invited these things into your life. Pain is in the world now. But let me tell you a little bit about what makes our faith unique. Because of all the world religions that I've studied, I have not found a religion that has an infinitely powerful God that is so intimately close that He came down to earth in the most dangerous, weak way. He came as a little baby. As a human being, He stepped down into creation with us. And it, uh, Hebrews talks about how he suffered everything that we've suffered, and he's tempted by everything that we've been tempted with. Our God is the kind of God that doesn't just say, "There, there, feel better, you're good." Our God is the kind of God that came down into humanity, puts his arms around us, stands by our side, and says, "I know, I know, it hurts, I know." Jesus was broken for us. We sang about it earlier. He experienced <laughs> suffering for us. He experienced temptation for us so that we might not be alone. So, you know, um, I, I realize that in this room there's probably definitely um, some people that are thinking, Adam, this is great. These are great things. Um, but I'm going through something that has no relief in sight. I'm going through something that the doctors have said there's no cure for. They don't know what it is. They don't know how to fix it. My relationship with someone is so broken that they won't talk to me, that we're divorced, that that, that we're separated. It's a lost cause. And sometimes maybe it is. Maybe we're suffering and we're just going to keep on suffering. But thanks be to God, because he got this figured out, Okay. Because Jesus was not only... He didn't only come down in human form in the weakest possible way and experience everything that we experience and suffer right along with us and put His arm around us and say, yeah, I know, it hurts. I know, I know, it hurts. He didn't just stop there. He didn't just stop at atoning for our sin when He died. He didn't just say, okay, well, sin debt's paid. Peace. See you guys. Good luck. He was resurrected on our behalf the way that he chose to do it so that he was human and he was able to be resurrected. Uh, 1 Corinthians, the other letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians in our Bible, um, he he writes it to them and he says that that Christ was the first fruit of resurrection. He gets to go first, but we get to go next. And we can have hope in that. So for for those of us that are in that place, that is very special and very rare because we never know how God's going to work out things here in this life. But for those of us that are in that place where we have no hope in sight and we need something rock solid, we need something that will never go away, that will never move, I want to go to one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I want to go to one of my favorite passages of Scripture. So if you could join me in Revelation chapter 21. Because see, the thing is, Jesus, He died for us, He was resurrected for us, and He says, I am making all things new. Someday, He's going to make it right. That thing that we messed up so early on, He's going to fix it. He's going to make it so it's not bad anymore, so there's no more pain. Let's listen to Revelation chapter 21. But before we listen, I have to find it. I think it's the last book. I know it's the last book. Revelation chapter 21. and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. What kind of world do you think that's going to be? Can you imagine that for a second? Where God is here. He's with us. We could go see him. He's with us. He's not, uh, he's not out there. No one doubts because it would be like doubting that there's a Torrington. He just drives to it. I think it's really cool because they actually just he goes on to describe what it will be like. He says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Because See, the thing is, we are living in a way that it shouldn't be. And God saw where we were at, and he decided, I want to be with them. And he is making all things new. So I want to tell you, I'm going to read that again, and I want you to think what it would be like in your life If he wiped away every tear from your eyes. If he took out every death in your life, if there was never another loved one that was going to go. In fact, the ones you've lost you get to see again. There will be no more mourning. You don't have to you don't have to be sad about anything that's happened. You don't have to regret things anymore. There will be no more mourning. And there will be no more crying pain for the old way of things has passed away we're living in the old way of things right now guys and I wish I could tell you that it's just it's all going to be better, follow Jesus everything gets better but sometimes when we're living here in this old order it doesn't get better so if you're in that place and you need that hope for someday please take courage it's coming it's coming He's coming again. This is the joy that we have as Christians. We know that Christ is coming again and He's going to fix it all. He's going to make everything right. So, what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite you, you who are hurting, you who are broken, shattered maybe, we're going to pray here in a second. And what I'm going to invite you to do is I'm going to invite you to, to have an honest conversation with God. Let's have an honest conversation with God. Where we say, God, I am hurting in this way. I, I, you know, I don't think that relationship is ever going to get fixed. And I just feel like I'm missing a limb because of that. Or I don't think I'm ever gonna feel better until I go. Let's have an honest conversation with God. So take a couple moments right now and, and, and pray where you're at. You can pray out loud or to yourself, I don't care. And then I'm gonna close us. So let's let's have that honest conversation and say, God, this is where I'm at. Please be with me in this. Let's pray. Kind of gracious, Father. We're grateful for everything You bring into our lives. And God, sometimes I I am choosing that because there are some things that if I was just going to go with my gut, I would say I'm never grateful for. But Jesus, I just am grateful for Your presence. Jesus, You promised that You would give us life and have life abundantly. And Lord, there are parts of my my soul that feel dead. Or I'm just suffering. So, Jesus, I just pray that you would bring life into those things. But, God, if there's no relief here, if there's no relief now, you are still good. God, I know that you love me and that you feel it with me that I'm not alone. So God, I just pray that you would help us to cling to hope. Lord, in a world of nights, help us to remember the sun. And help us to trust that someday, 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 we will stand in front of you and you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You'll take away death. You'll take away mourning. You'll take away pain. You'll take away all of it. Everything that we've just messed up so badly, Jesus, you're fixing. So God, today I pray that as as we're here together, help us to share with one another what we're going through. Lord, help us to, to, to open our lives just a little bit so that we can share suffering, so we can share comfort, so we can be more conformed to your image. Jesus, thank you that you suffer with us. So God, I pray that you bless us this week. Help us as we worship you, to worship you in spirit and truth. Help us to bring these things before you and not pick them back up again. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.